Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome to episode 73 of the Empower Humans podcast. This episode is a conversation with Emily Lynn Paulson. She's an author of a book called Highlight Real. That's R-E-A-L. A little play on words. Highlight Real. Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. She talks a lot in this book and in this interview about her experience with alcohol. Now, I know everyone comes from different backgrounds, different school of thought on a lot of these things. So in no part of any of this is this some sort of a preaching, judgmental thing. This is kind of a general commentary on the use of external things, uh, which in many cases can be substances like drugs or alcohol or other things, food, sex, all the various things people use. And we talk a little bit about some of those other things as well uh, as sort of shields or soothing mechanisms for different things in your life. Uh, wounds and so on and so on. Uh, she talks a lot about social media, thus the reference in the title about the filtered life. And the cover of the book has some things uh, related to her Instagram with lots of other alcoholic beverages and references to all that from the past. She's been sober for about three and a half years. Uh, I made a little boo-boo in the interview and said, uh, it's been five years. And she said, no, it's been three and a half. So <laughs> as always, we're human. I'm going to leave that all in there. You get to hear and listen to all that. But it's a, a good conversation and good food for thought. She's also the mother of five kids and uh, three girls, two boys. And we talk a little bit about that and talking to kids about these things and the example aspect of it. So a lot, a lot of meat and potatoes, so to speak, in this interview when it comes to uh, how we handle substances and how we handle stress and various things in our lives and maybe some healthier approaches. So before you dive into the interview, I want to remind you as always, you are absolutely priceless. Nothing in this world, nothing, nothing, nothing can change that. Nothing anybody says, does, anything that's been done to you or around you or any of these various things the riches are found in you, not in the things around us. And uh, of course, we can be of value to those around us more than we realize as well. So recognize that aspect. You are absolutely priceless and you are never alone. Uh, you always have an opportunity to reach out to friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, whatever it might be. Uh, you can also reach out to me at empowerhumans.com on our contact page info at empowerhumans.com, the email address at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not on Twitter as much, but you can contact me all these various places. I'm here to serve and support you. That's uh, part of doing this podcast and part of the title, Empower Humans. We're trying to empower each other, and I'm doing my best, in spite of my shortcomings and imperfections, to uh, provide that for you. Uh, as well as I also want to remind you of our challenges, study. Keep studying if you have been. Start studying if you haven't been. Learn, grow, read. There's tons of material of millions and millions of books between Amazon and Google Books and the library. God forbid we go to the library. By the way, I heard last year more people visited libraries than went to the movies. Look that up. <laughs> Study. And by the way, I'm proud of humans for doing that. Nothing wrong with movies either. And there's also some good educational things through some of the movies as well. Uh, and some of that's found through streaming these days uh, also. So, But study, stimulate the mind, learn things, apply them, and then share that with the masses. Uh, also, make great moments. Do that with your loved ones. Make great moments in your day-to-day -day lives. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes we have a bad day. You had a bad day. I know, I know. Uh, whatever the case is in our various life experience, by the way, I've had plenty, and by the way, we also recently had an interview about how to have no more bad days. There's a book and topic on that that we covered in a couple interviews ago, so listen to that as well. 
But when these things arise, the reason I'm saying that and singing a little piece of that song is because this happens regularly. Something goes not as planned, and we have to reframe things and regroup. And sometimes you can take lemons, make lemonade, so to speak, turn these so-called bad moments into something great. Uh, I've heard all kinds of stories of people doing things when they got a flat tire or whatever, making it family time. (laughs) So whatever it might be in your world, find a way to take lemons, make lemonade. And uh, last challenge is always, let's keep doing this podcast together. I think we've done a great uh, introduction here for Emily and her book, Highlight Reel. And uh, I just want to jump right into the interview. So without further ado, let's listen to this interview with the one and only Emily Lynn Paulson, author of Highlight Reel, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. Here we go. We are here with Emily Lynn Paulson, author of Highlight Reel, that's R-E-A-L, Highlight Reel, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. I uh, wanted to talk with you about this uh, book and some things here. And you're also a parent, obviously. We are talking a little bit about that. And you, you're in Seattle area, correct? Yep. Okay, cool. And how many kids do you have? I have five. Five kids. I've only got two boys myself. What ages are your kids? Uh, so I have two boys on, uh, they're my bookends, uh-huh. uh, 15 and 7, and then three girls in the middle, 10, 11, and 13. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 7 to 15 is the age range, and then the three girls yeah. in the middle. Interesting. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, raising five kids is kind of a <laughs> – it's it's above the average, I guess, America. They always say it was like 1.7 kids per family <laughs> or something like that. Right. I bring up the average quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Did you come from a big family originally or – no, actually, I didn't. I um, I have one brother, and, you know, so it was just my parents, my brother and I. Um, you know, and I always thought I wanted two or three kids, and my husband, he came from a, you know, he only had two siblings, but both of his parents had five and six siblings, and so he grew up with tons of cousins, and so he wanted three or four kids, and then somehow we ended up with five. I don't know how that math works, but <laughs> it just sort of happened. Yeah, and that's sometimes just what happens with families. Uh, that's cool. That's you know, I like yeah. kids. Maybe I'll have some more one of these days myself. But so <laughs> Seattle, you were telling me you've been there about ten years. Um, give me a little background. In fact, let's talk about in a nutshell what this book is, and then some background of your life and how you got to this place and what made you want to write the book. But what is the, what is the book about? Just sure. highlight so, real. Yeah. So it's, um, first and foremost, it's a recovery memoir. So three and a half years ago, I got sober and through this process. And I think a lot of people, when they make the decision to get sober, they kind of look in their lives and say, how the heck did I get here? So that's what I did. And so mm-hmm. I really started reading. I started writing And I started kind of retracing my steps and the path I had taken through my life and how alcohol really weaved its way into my life. And one thing that, you know, I I, I kind of thought when I was writing that this would just be a mom's recovery memoir. It would be about a mom getting sober, you know, a mom with kids getting sober and getting out of addiction. But it really turned into this memoir of my entire life and how I was really hiding what was really going on Mm. and and it became really apparent, you know, in this age of social media, when you're putting out all these beautiful photos (laughs) and it's not really what's going on in in real life. Um, So, you know, it's, it's chronological and and kind of goes through, um, you know, the history of my life and, you know, how I got to where I am today. I see. Wow. 
Yeah. I love that. That's that's in a world with so much facade these days. I used to live in L.A., so I even more so filming movies and TV. I've been to some of the studios and I love Universal Studios, but it's all fake. You know, yep. <laughs> it's interesting to see all that and all the blue and green screens and all the stuff people do. Um, and, you know, from the social media standpoint. So you talk about in the book, we go back quite a bit uh, in, through your life story. Tell me a little bit about that as far as growing up and you know, whatever you want to that you're comfortable talking about, but whatever's in the book, I'm sure you're comfortable with because it's there. (laughs) Go ahead. So, yeah, so I really kind of started at the beginning, just my upbringing. And, um, you know, I grew up in Montana, a little small town. Mm -hmm. And I had a, you know, happy childhood. um, But just, you know, that that feeling for whatever reason that I just always was not good enough. Um, And so some of the, you know, behaviors through my life and, um, traumas that I eventually went through, you know, they came from this place of just not being comfortable with who I was, not having a real strong sense of self mm-hmm. and inevitably trying to be, I guess, too strong, I guess, is, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a weakness, not being able to ad- admit honesty is, is what I found, but thinking that I'd gotten through things that I hadn't, um, having, you know, difficult experiences and then not talking about them, not dealing with them. And instead, numbing them out with, you know, people, friend groups, you know, alcohol, whatever it was to cure these, these issues I was having, whatever they were. Um, and so, you know, this was kind of a theme that popped up throughout my life Mm -hmm. and I, I tried geographical changes. I always tried to reinvent myself, but at the core of it, it was just me not being honest with what I was going through, um, with myself and, and with others. Hmm. So uh, why do you think that was in more depth uh, in terms of childhood? And was there something a lot of people have things that go wrong, you know, from a parental standpoint or some, you know, some familial thing that goes on? Um, Yeah. And, you know, my parents are great. Um, You know, of course, I think any child can go sit on a therapist's couch. Like my kids will probably be talking in therapy you know, in 12 years and who knows what they're going to say, but you know, we all have issues from our parents, good and bad. And of course I can go back and pick apart. Oh, my mom should have done this. My dad should have done this, but really they were doing the best with, with what they had. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for me, I think it was, it, it was just, again, this innate not feeling good. And one thing I think might have contributed to it was I was, you know, I was gifted as a child, um, whatever means they choose, you know, what a gifted child is at that, that point in kindergarten, you know, I could probably, mm-hmm. you know, write in cursive, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I ended up skipping a grade. So I was quite a bit younger than my peers. And I think part of that, I, I remember, honestly, like little things, like I remember crying in first grade and, you know, being called a baby and those little things where I really wanted to be older than I was. And I was hanging out with people who was older than I was constantly. And so I was physically immature. I was emotionally immature. I was immature in all these ways, but I was having to keep up with these older kids. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons I, I, I did start to, you know, live this more mature life, uh, make decisions I wasn't ready for necessarily. And, and then again, not even talk about how they were affecting me because I was just trying to be this person that I wasn't. Mm. Wow. There's a lot of depth there. And, and each of us have these 
things in us that create insecurities. It's interesting we're talking about this because I just kind of went through my own. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of a guy named, and I just heard of him recently, named Artie Wu, A R T I E Wu W U. But he has oh, this. It's a seven day healing thing, and I just actually went through. I finished it yesterday, believe it or not. <laughs> and oh, wow. and it's the interesting thing because it spoke to me a little bit. Uh, you know, not to you know change the subject, but it's it's all part of humanity, and we're empower humans. <laughs> People tend to have some sort of wound, and a lot of times that comes from childhood. And the whole basis of this program is uh, uncovering those wounds and some of the language surrounding it uh, in the different areas of our lives with our identity, with our body, um, with our competence, and, and things like that. So there's these areas that wounds happen, and then talking about what we do with that. Um, he talks about shielding and soothing. And what you're talking about when it comes to you know alcohol or even drugs and other things falls under the, the soothing area. And I'm not sure exactly what's gone on in, in your or anyone else's life more than mine, really. But sometimes that's what happens as we soothe with with things like alcohol. And I'm, and I'm not trying to speak from a place of major th- – I'm not carrying some degree or something. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm no psychologist per se. I read a lot of books though. Um, right. So drugs, alcohol is one area people soothe, you know, sex, food, even workaholism and even media, screen time, even some of the things you talked about at the beginning, uh, social media, <laughs> some of the delusions that surround that. So, right. uh, yeah, I'm not – yeah, and, and this is just food for thought for people and obviously I would recommend your book greatly and obviously this program too with Artie Wu. Um, but so, so what is it about – when did we start gravitating towards – you know, the use of alcohol. It sounds like you started kind of at a pretty young age. Yeah, I was about 14. And the first time I, you know, I got, I don't know if I could say I got drunk the first time I drank, but I definitely felt the effects of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember so vividly noticing that it made me, at least I thought it made me feel different than my peers around me. Like, I was like, wow, that's why people drink. Like this feeling I had, Mm -hmm. I felt like all of my insecurity was gone. My anxiety was gone. All these things I've been carrying around, you know, it's a numbing depressant. Obviously, that's what it does. That's why people use it. Um, And so I just remember feeling almost, almost unlocked. Like I can, wow, I can really be myself now. That's really how I viewed it for so long. And so then anything that I did socially, in relationships, it just started this pattern of needing alcohol really to function in all of these, again, human experiences. Mm. Wow. And so that being said, uh, how did this progress over time? Because it sounds like you became conscious early on that there might be some unhealthy patterns for whatever it's worth when you're a teenager. <laughs> but how, how did this progress? And obviously you got to a place where you say you've been sober for some time. Um, what, what, well, go ahead. It was, I, it, it's easier to hide a problem when everyone around you is doing the same thing problematically. Mm. Right. So in high school, you're already underage drinking. It's already illegal. No parent agrees with it. And so, you, it's hard to judge at that point whether you have a problem because it's already problematic. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and then when you get to college and binge drinking is actually pretty normal. My behavior didn't look different from anybody else's. So, so on the scale of like trying to 
trying to compare, I guess, I, I didn't think I really had a problem. Um, and I knew, you know, I had, I had other behaviors through the years too. You know, I had an eating disorder mm-hmm. and, and I think a lot of these things stem from the same place, right? It's not the workaholism. It's not the alcoholism. It's, it's what you're using it for, what you're using it to try and cover. And I, again, I think it went back to just the sense of self, but through my life, it was so easy to hide because again, other people around me were drinking. And once I got out of college and I was a young adult, it was just kind of what you did socially. So my behavior didn't look that much different. The difference was really that when I got drunk, you know, when I drank excessively, um, it looked worse than <laughs> most people I knew. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have terrible experiences every time I drank, but if I did have something happen, some drama or a fight or whatever it was, it was always when I was drinking. So I could always, I could always attribute bad things to it, but I didn't think alcohol was really the cause of it. Mm. Really interesting. And from the standpoint of a woman where you've now, you know, given birth to five kids, I mean, obviously I would imagine that you didn't use it during those times as far as, right. uh, you know, during pregnancy, um, which isn't, you know, men, if they're drinking, they don't deal with that part of things. So men just drink right on through if that's what they're going to do. Um, what What is it? Um, as far as the becoming a parent and I, I know that you talk about a thing with wine moms and some messages that that conveys to society. And, and by the way, I want to, I want to kind of interject. We're not vilifying anyone or anything right now. We're talking about your story and some things you've learned. Uh, but there is some, some strong feelings and opinions having lived through some of this, but talk about the, the wine mom thing. Uh, because there's t-shirts, there's cute little things, there's probably Facebook groups and things where people, and you know, I'm not a part of that culture. I'm certainly not a mom either, but yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was for sure wearing the t-shirts. Um, yeah. it, it's been really normalized and, and I was definitely part of it. And again, that's why it was so easy to hide when I had a problem. And, and really I was able to excuse the fact that I had a problem at all mm-hmm. because for one thing, I was able to give up alcohol for nine months at a time, five yeah. times. So again, I didn't drink during pregnancy. So I figured, well, I can't be an alcoholic, right? I can give it up for months at a time. But that's actually pretty flawed thinking because any alcoholic will tell you that they try to stop or they've stopped for months at a time. And, and it's not it's not what we think it is. So it's actually really common for women to be able to give it up, no problem during pregnancy, and then go right back to it. And that was my experience. And then what what I also experienced is once you have a kid, it's almost like you're told you need it. And it's it's very calculated by alcohol companies, and it's very targeted marketing to women. You see a lot more pink wine cans. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you see, mm-hmm. again, you see the cute t-shirts and cute mugs with the cute sayings on them. You really are brainwashed into believing you need it and you deserve it. And it's this reward. And I really got roped into that. And it, it's looking back at it now, I can see how damaging it was. And, and that is why I talk about it. Not because alcohol needs to be illegal, because I don't think it is. Like, I'm not a prohibitionist. I think people should be able to enjoy their wine if they want it. But I think we need to learn like more about it and, mm-hmm. and the fact that it, it is dangerous and why have we normalized a dangerous substance so much that it's on a t-shirt? Like, why is this okay when I would never wear a shirt that said 
you know, cocaine made me do it or, <laughs> or, you know, give me another cigarette or, or whatever. I, you know, I smoke because my kids cry. That would be just horrifying. <laughs> but we, we have that same messaging with alcohol and uh, alcohol deadly than all illicit drugs combined. So the things I've learned since I've gotten sober and the way I look at it now, um, I can see how I was so brainwashed into believing it was just this necessary accessory yeah. to, to parenthood. Yeah. Well, it seems like that would be an easy, uh, for lack of a better word, trap to fall into in, in terms of a mindset, because mm-hmm. from what I see, being a mom is not an easy job, <laughs> first of all. Right. And, and so it's easy to say, well, I uh, like there was one of the shirts says they whine W H I N E. So I whine W I N E. So it's a cute little right. homonym right. kind of thing. And, and so there's various things like that, but um, it seems like moms have to have some sort of healthy outlet or, uh, you know, soothing of some sort. And where you've been sober for some time, what do you think that should be instead? Obviously, this was a part of your regimen for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts or ideas? Because, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like humans in general need some sort of stress reliever. <laughs> Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, people need a coping mechanism. I guess when it's problematic is when you're using a substance as that coping mechanism, which is what I was doing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, unlike chocolate or, um, you know, running or other things that people can get, I guess, for lack of a better word, addicted to or, or used for self-soothing, soothing, Yeah. alcohol is something that you know, it deadens neurological pathways, and it is addictive. So, you know, when you have that first glass of wine, oh boy, it's so relaxing, and you feel so warm, and you're comforted. You do that every night. Eventually, your brain gets accustomed to it. You need more of it to get the same dopamine hit. And so that's where people really get into this trap. And I think it's something that people don't realize how addictive it actually is. So, so it really is about looking at why are you drinking in the first place? Yeah. And and if you're reaching for a bottle of red wine because it tastes good with your steak, that's a whole different conversation than, oh, my God, my kids are driving me crazy. I need to numb these feelings. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the important thing is everyone needs an outlet. Everybody needs a stress reliever. Everybody needs self-care to take care of themselves. But alcohol is none of those things. It It makes anxiety worse. It's not, you know, it's not good for your health. And so I think it's just important to look at the reasons you're doing it and recognize it for what it is. If you're going to use it, it's perfectly legal, you know, but it comes with a cost, you know, it's about informed consent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing we humans do. I mean, and, and that's why I was so drawn to this program with this Artie Woot uh, also is because, it kind of spoke to me because I've dealt with my own version of things. I, I personally, I've never actually drank. I'm not trying to talk down to anybody or anything. I just no, never no, did. No. And I grew yeah. up kind of religious and all that. And for whatever reason, I just never went down those paths, uh, drugs, alcohol or whatever. But, you know, I had certain other things, anger and other things and split up parents from a very, very young age and stuff. And so um, it, this is something that, that just people, I, th- I think that what you said, one of the main things I'm taking from it is, is why if you're doing it because it tastes good with a steak versus escaping something, trying to 
numb or drown out some other aspect of life, there's that's very two different reasons. Just like, you know, various things like with people with eating disorder, eating for nourishment versus having these other mental things that go on too. And I've never dealt with that, so I can't fully speak to that. But there's all yeah, kinds it all of dysfunctional. Comes from the same place. Yeah, yeah it really it comes from the same place of wanting to numb out feelings or wanting to have control over something. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think the other coin, the other side of the coin with this wine mom culture is that um, it's it's the modeling of behavior. And uh, you know, I, I I do talk about this a lot, and I don't think that you can't drink in front of your kids. I think you can drink in front of your kids. But I think what we believe is responsible and good modeling of alcohol use is flawed. Um, because, again, if your kids are seeing you grab a glass of wine every single night when you're putting them to bed, they're, they're going to associate that with parenthood. They're going to associate that with being an adult. And you've really yeah. got to think about when is it appropriate? Is it appropriate to have at the second grade soccer awards ceremony? You know, Do we need to have wine at kids' birthday parties? Mm. And just thinking more logically about it, of what we really want to show our kids. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. I mean, because kids model their parents uh, in a lot of ways. And so especially for those out there who are parents, that's obviously a big factor consideration uh, surrounding all this. Uh, and we talk about consuming wine for different reasons. And one of the things you touched on early on that maybe we can dig a little deeper here is the social media as well, mm -hmm. um, you talk about how that kind of goes hand in hand with this this alcohol and wine culture and stuff. And um, tell, talk to me a little bit about that and what's been your experience there um, that was maybe not the the best <laughs> as far as the social media side of things. Well, I actually my book cover is is covered with my own Instagram photos, and the reason I put them on there is because. You know, I look super happy. I look like I'm having fun. Yet in every picture, I have a wine glass in my hand or a beer or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I had knitted alcohol into my life. And I really was marketing it the same way that alcohol companies do. Again, I looked like I was having fun. So I was really making it like this, this life elixir. Like you need to drink this substance. I'm having so much fun with this substance. Yeah. And so that's the messaging I'm inundating people with. That's the messaging alcohol companies are inundating me with. So again, it's this message that we're putting out there that you need to drink to survive, to have fun, to live, to do anything, to be a parent. And I'm sure, you know, like with your experience, never having a drink, you probably surprise people. They're probably, <laughs> you know, when you, when you say, oh no, I don't drink. What? I mean, people are shocked. Yeah, that's um, true. And, and right. So there's usually, you almost have to explain more why you don't use a dangerous substance than, than why you do. And so I think that's part of it. So while we're shown these messages, something that we might be considering a problem, you know, any, any thoughts that I had, oh, this is a problem. You know, I can look around and see hundreds of other people doing the same thing. And so it's a really easy to hide something that might be an issue. Yeah. I mean, and when we talk about social media, a big element of that, as far as our psychology is this sense of community, a sense of belonging. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Facebook uses the word community all the time. 
And then we have Facebook groups and various things with different, you know, themes and so on. But that's part of it. And so if the idea is if I want to belong and fit in and be loved, because I think that's what the core is of a lot of things in our lives is love and being loved and loving others and if how that's happening in a healthy manner, then at least one layer of the alcohol part or drugs and other things is feeling that belonging. And the reason, and I'm glad you brought up the thing about me not drinking and so on. Again, I'm not talking down to anybody. It's, I'm far from perfect and drinking doesn't have anything to do with whether or not someone's perfect either per se. Okay. But I had friends come to me when I was a teenager, you know, kind of one-on-one and say, you know what? I respect that you just stick to your guns, so to speak. And, and we're still all friends and you do what you do and we do what we do and we can still all be friends. And that's yeah. kind of, that was kind of my school of thought on it. If people are people and we're all going to like each other and be friends, we don't necessarily all have to be into and do the same things. And I'd be around them smoking things, drinking things and <laughs> different things that they would yeah. do. But I, I just didn't engage in that per- part of it. So it's just an interesting, uh, and that's, that's me. That's, you know, everyone's different. <clears throat> Um, did you but yeah, I think we do we do um, confuse substances for connection. Yeah, exactly. And you know, even though when when I had I could maybe let my guard down a little bit more, well, it, that wasn't necessarily a good thing. You know, maybe I would started talking th- about things I didn't want to talk about, or maybe the next day I'd realize I don't even remember what I was talking about. So I think we confuse the two a little bit. That you know, just because alcohol relieves you of your inhibitions. Yeah, those inhibitions are there for a reason. And so I think we do confuse that with with connection. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, our friend Tony Robbins always talks about assigning meaning to things that nothing really inherently has meaning per se. We assign meaning to everything. So for Mm -hmm. one person, this means this and that means that. And that's one of the reasons we have so many differences in our society. And we have this heated political debate in our country right now and so, so on too because exactly. different things mean different things for different people uh so if, if for me alcohol is okay i don't really i don't personally need that for uh my life problems and stress you know i might have something else people turn to other things food sex uh various other activities work <laughs> uh yeah some of the things like we touched on with this other program too um but I'm not necessarily thinking the same way as everyone else. And, and I guess the idea surrounding that is you had somewhat of a paradigm shift some, would you say, five years ago since you've been sober? Yeah, three and a half years ago. Oh, so excuse me. Five. Yeah. <laughs> three and a half well, years I, But, you know, you're right. I, I, I obviously was questioning it before that. And I, and I did try and get sober a couple of times on my own. So, you know, it's, it's a process. Recovery is a process. But, you know, I've been drink-free, substance-free for three and a half years. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it gets down to what I see as a belief window, I guess, is what some some people I've seen teach things like this, what we believe about things. It sounds like you your beliefs evolved to a point where you mm-hmm. wanted to just let it go completely. In other words, if you've been sober, you haven't drank at all, even like socially or something. Oh, no, right. And that's, that's kind of what it gets down to when people become sober. Now, why is that for you and for these people who do that, why is that important where it's not, okay, well, I'm just going to cut back and just look at it differently? Uh, well, I, I, honestly, I think there are people who 
can do that. And, and I think that's why it's important to look at why you're using it. Yeah. Because again, if you're a person who you're like, oh, I have a drink every once in a while, maybe once a month, you know, maybe at weddings, well, probably don't need to worry as much. Um, and I, and I think it, 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 when you're using it as, you know, well, I, I go to happy hour every day after work. I don't know how I would do this without alcohol. I don't know how I would do this without alcohol. It it does start to sneak up on you if you're not looking at the reasons behind it. And so I think that's why it's important to talk about because there are people who it just isn't a thing for them. Yeah, They're not obsessed with it. They can have a glass of wine and not finish it, which that is not something I could ever do. And and so for me, it, it couldn't be on the table at all. If I tried to control it, and I did many times, I made all the rules. I tried to only have one drink a day or only drink on the weekends or only drink on vacation. I always broke the rules. So I knew that it just couldn't be on the table for me at all. And and since I've had it out of my life for so long, I mean, I wouldn't even want to go there. Even if I, you know, quote unquote could, Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go there. But that's why, again, I think it is so important because even someone who's not an alcoholic, you can develop a dependence on a, you know, addictive substance. And so if you're using it regularly, you can fall into that trap again of needing more to get the same feeling from it. So it's just important to to be aware of it. And if you do think you need to cut back and you try and you can, that's awesome. But if you try and cut back and you cannot, you know, it's just so important to just be on guard and aware of your own use. Yeah. And I think that's the operative word is aware, self-awareness and uh, get, getting to know oneself enough. Like I, I, for one, think everybody should, if they're able in some way to get therapy, um, because I think most of us have some sort of issues, a lot of things that maybe we didn't even realize that just kind of are just there. And then we just kind of grow up with it and something then we might have some some form of some bad habit. And we're not vilifying alcohol, per se, because there's also... You know, I grew up on fast food. It's not like that's mm-hmm. in some ways that's worse for you uh, in your body, especially for prolonged <laughs> consumption. Uh, yeah. All these processed foods, Taco Bell, all these things. No offense, Taco Bell. But uh, right. <laughs> it's uh, th- there's all these other things that we again, it gets down to let's get to know ourselves. And I can't and I personally go to as we speak. In fact, later today. For those listening, I'm going to therapy <laughs> for myself. And I, I just think there's something connecting with what you said, this awareness, getting to know yourself, to know. And you got to know over time you couldn't have it on the table at all. And, right. And honestly, therapy was part of that. <laughs> yeah. I think that is important to mention, too. You know, it's not like I just woke up one day and said, oh, heck, I'm going to cut back on drinking. Like, this was a very long process for me. And, yeah, therapy was part of that. And therapy was part of not just getting me to not pick up a drink, but to realize why I was drinking in the first place Yeah, and, and evaluating that. Yeah. And I don't think we, great point. I don't think we need to look at therapy the way I think our culture tends to that. Oh, there's something wrong with you. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, no. it's, this is part of just self care and, and taking, taking stock of where you are in life and the awareness, like you said, uh, and that's how therapy can help. Talking it through with someone who's trained and does a decent job <laughs> can can yeah. work wonders. And, you know, like my parents with their divorce, my dad told me some years later, boy, I wish we'd gone to therapy sooner. 
because he learned a bunch of things in the wake of the divorce about why he had certain habits and behaviors and, and, uh, some of that could have been offset in their marriage, but it is what it is. You know, we've all had failures of some sort too. So the point being, go ahead. I I, I always advocate for therapy and for, you know, marriage counseling. When people ask, oh gosh, why are you in marriage counseling? Like you have a problem. It's like, we want to stay in marriage counseling. So we don't have a problem. Yeah. We've had problems in our marriage, but the reason it stays healthy is because we work on it and we talk to a professional who helps us work on it. Not because we're perfect and we know what the hell we're doing. Cause we don't, we, we need help with it. Yeah. And just like you go to the doctor for a checkup every year. And to me, that's how I view it. And, and that yeah. should be the most important thing. Yeah. It's like preventive, preventive care, yeah, um, proactive, sure. uh, decisions as well. Uh, so as we talk about this in terms of your life, your experience, uh, what is it as far as when you decided to finally give up alcohol, how did that process unfold? Were there certain steps you had to take to gradually cut back or, uh, you know, what was that process? Well, you know, I had several times tried to cut back again. I made all those rules for myself and I, um, you know, I did try and stop for a month or two at a time. And then I would always convince myself, okay, well, if I was able to stop, then it must not have been that bad. I'll just go back to drinking normally. And it would always escalate back to where it was or worse. Mm. And I was having more and more consequences from it, health problems. And so finally, you know, I knew that it couldn't be an option for me anymore. I was just kind of prolonging the inevitable. And so for me, I... I reached out to the one sober person I knew. I had one friend who I knew was sober and she took me to an AA meeting. And so I just really took it a day at a time, sometimes an hour at a time, sometimes a minute at a time Mm -hmm. and just told myself, okay, I'm going to do the next right thing. I'm not going to drink today. And again, I just kept going to those meetings. I connected with other sober people. I, I sought therapy and I just, kept going on on that path um yeah. was not easy um but but again you know a big part of my process was getting honest and, and so i put it out there you know I, I i put it out there that i wasn't drinking anymore kind of as an insurance policy yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. So, yeah. just so people weren't tempted to ask me out for drinks if they typically were used to that and 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 part of that too was because i knew that being secretive about it and being dishonest about it did not work. Yeah. And so, so for me, honesty and being out front about it was, was really important. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's changing a pattern that's been ingrained, especially from a young age, like this was with you is a very difficult thing. So I commend you because that was a process. Sounds like you had to make conscious effort. I'm going to go to these meetings. I'm going to make this choice and change surroundings, which I think can't be underestimated in value as far as changing surround. You talk about different people, uh, the people right. who have now been sober. And so that probably had a major influence and contributed to your energy in this regard as well as you made this this transition. Um, so having been such a big part of your life for so long, um, what did you, if you don't mind me asking, what did you turn to after you left this? Was there some other thing? Did you start running? Did you, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you didn't start smoking crack or something. I mean, something... <laughs> No, what did I didn't. You do? That's the one thing I didn't try. Um, Good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's part of it too. Is is those feelings? 
because because it's not usually about the alcohol or the eating disorder or the whatever it is. It's about the feelings, and so those yes. feelings are still there once the alcohol is gone. Mm-hmm. And so I did have to learn how to deal with you know shame and guilt and you know, trauma from my past. And so for me, it wasn't all about going to therapy, talking to other people who had been there, and, and a, a big part of that was going to meetings. Going to you know, I went to AA meetings. And heard stories from other people who were just like me. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of alcoholics talk about this uniqueness. Like, you think you're the worst person in the world. Nobody's had an experience like you. No one could understand it. And then you right. go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and you're like, oh, okay, I yeah. know. Like, this makes so much sense now. So hearing other people reflect back the same stories was very healing. Being able to share um, and talk about something that I'd never talked about was very right. healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it all went back to just dealing, how do I deal with these feelings, this anxiety that I have, this shame that I have, all these individual feelings that were the reason that I drank in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you explaining that. And as far as like the drinking itself was, the, is there some other thing or do you have suggestions as far as at least what worked for you? Was sure. there s- Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has their own thing, right? And yeah, and so again, it, and it depends why you're using it too. If, if for me, um, you know, I had to find things that that I enjoyed that let off anxiety. Um, I do exercise um, more regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I take hot baths. <laughs> I read books. I do things that um, really kind of help give me a different perspective and take me out of myself because I think alcoholism too is it's both very selfish and very selfless at the same time you know you put Mm -hmm. this drink before yourself and you also think about nothing else but this drink and you and so you put it before other people but you're putting it before yourself and so going back to your own needs and, and wants and desires and what do I like what makes me feel good yeah. Um, that isn't mind numbing and destructive. So, so I do spend time taking care of myself and, you know, my kids know that my AA meetings are important. They know that my recovery is part of me being a good mom to them. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. And I, and I like that you point out very specific things, exercise, uh, hot baths, books. And if we were to group those together, a lot of that falls more under a place of self-care. <laughs> and again, I know people throw around this term self-care so much these days too. Um, but it, it's interesting. And exercise in particular is a very interesting thing because I've seen a lot of people leave bad habits and turn to exercise instead <laughs> because <laughs> the endorphins and the oxygen and all the things that happen just by simply working our bodies. <laughs> uh, right. Instead of taking a substance to numb things, you're actually kind of proactively taking care of your body and feeling much better, especially long term than I would imagine because I don't, you know, drink. But like the ups and downs of alcohol and hangovers and stuff (laughs) the next day. Um, Right. And and I think that's the key part, too, is that, you know, alcohol isn't self-care. And I think it has been kind of beat into our heads that. Oh, you know, sit on the couch and drink a glass of wine. You're taking care of yourself. Well, no, you're not. You're sitting on the couch, but you're pouring poison into your body. And that's why you have a hangover. And and so looking at it as, okay, what is self-care? How can I take care of myself? Maybe I do need to go 
sit and chat with a girlfriend over coffee. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I do need to go sit in a hot bath or read a book or go for a walk. Um, you know, when you get to the core of it, asking yourself what will actually take care of my, my body, myself, my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent points. And we talk about having five kids. Um, again, that's a little above the average. Yeah, I lived in Utah for a while, so I, I've seen a lot of big families. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure. And uh, things like that. But we talk about your kids. I don't want to get into the specifics, but are there ways that you talk to them about these topics now? Or ha- do you mind if I ask, is this something you've gone over with them and say, look, mommy or, you know, your mom has had this thing and I've decided, are they aware or you just kind of did this quietly? Oh, they're very, very aware. And and partly because I, I know it's helpful and partly because I had to be really upfront about it. You know, part of my story was that I got a DUI. Mm. And part of the repercussions from that was having a breathalyzer put in my car. Oh, wow. And so that forced a conversation, you know, that, okay, I got in trouble with the law. This is what happened. And this is what I have in my car now. And what came from that was actually a really beautiful thing was this conversation, these questions of, well, gosh, why do people drink? Why, why would you drink and then drive? Why did they serve alcohol at the restaurant? If you had to drive home, why did they sell (laughs) it? If it's bad for you, kids are smart. Oh, so smart. And, and also (laughs) I didn't realize how much I was already showing them. Yeah. You know, they knew that I, they, that I drank a glass of wine at night and, and it was very apparent to them. They knew that when we had friends over and we were all drinking that people were louder and sillier and, um, you know, my daughter said, people are swearier. People (laughs) (laughs) there were more swear words. Um, or that, you know, sometimes I would, I would like fall asleep putting them to bed because obviously I had had a drink or two and I I would pass out. And, and so I wasn't fooling them at all. They were already very aware. So this just helped me change the conversation. And, and now, especially having teenagers, you know, the, the fact that they know, you know, I had trouble with alcohol. I started drinking early. I had all these repercussions, you know, to know that this is in their DNA, Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. They're, they're so much more aware. And, and I know that they're going to be faced with it and they're going to have to make their own decisions. But I know that I've equipped with them with at least with the knowledge that this isn't something they have to do. It's not something they need for fun. And it can cause a really big problem. Um, so, so I think it's been actually an incredible teaching tool yeah. um, for, for all of us. Yeah, I mean, and I'm glad that you've let that process unfold that way because it could have been a more self-destructive or, you know, family and marriage destructive thing. And you've talked about candidly that, like a lot of people, you had your share of marriage and family things to sort through. And therapy and counseling have helped with some of that. It's it's incredible how smart kids really are, though. Kids are way more perceptive than oftentimes I think we give them credit for. And and they're simple and innocent, and they ask these profound questions that we adults kind of overlook. Like, well, why are they serving that at the restaurant if you're not supposed to try? Like, good question, kid. Why don't you run for president? Uh, yeah. Because, and like, my son, and he says it kind of as a joke. He says, well, why do bars have par- parking lots if you're not supposed to drink and drive? Ha, ha, ha. But yeah, good point. It's a great question. Good point, son. (laughs) Uh, And so I I, I think it's real important to just, all I can say as a parent myself, just stay engaged with your kids, you know, constant 
like you talk about putting in bed, a lot of times I lay with my boys at night individually and we talk and stuff and we have little meetings here and there and uh, just just to keep that dialogue open. And it's yeah. I'm glad that you had that, you know, as embarrassing as it may have been to have a breathalyzer thing in your car, <laughs> that that opened up more dialogue for you and your kids. Yeah, absolutely. What what other aspects of this do you want to touch on as far as in your book and stuff? Because I don't want to pry too much. There's a lot uh, that we've covered so far, too. Are there other things about the alcoholism, the social media, the self-care? Because you talk about uh, the best form of self-care might actually be cutting back on alcohol. Is there anything else you want to touch on and, and add here? You know, I think the important thing is just to always be aware and just be educated about anything you're putting in your body. And there, there is so much information out there on so many things, and it, it's almost mind-boggling that you can, you can Google something and get 300 different answers. <laughs> and, and, and so to, to really just pay attention to where you're getting your information and, and pay attention to the information you're letting affect you. Um, and, yeah. and, and again, just, just being aware of, of how things make you feel, you know, if, you, if you're feeling hungover often, lean into that and ask yourself, you know, why, why you're, why you're doing yourself, that to yourself. And, and maybe there's a reason you feel crummy and maybe it's something that needs to be looked at and, and just being educated about, you know, the fact that alcohol kills a lot of people, the fact that it is dangerous. And again, it's illegal. You can, you're welcome to use it if you want to, but just informed consent that you don't need it to yeah. have fun, be an adult, be a mom, to do anything. I mean, you're a living proof, right? You you don't drink, and I don't drink, and it's, mm-hmm. it's actually totally fine and better to go through life without being numb. Yeah, and again, we're not we're not bad mouthing or talking down to anybody, but it's worth looking in the mirror, like you're saying, yeah. and just doing a real honest, honest being the key, all caps word in the sentence, uh, self-evaluation and to do that regularly. But if this is something or anything in our lives you feel might be a problem, uh, it's, it's worth us doing that. And what about meditation? Do you have anything with that? I know a lot of people talk about that and some people do and don't do that. And as a mom of five, you may not have lots of time to do things like that too. But uh, for my experience, at least, Sit, even if you have five minutes to sit in silence and just kind of really think and get uh, kind of an outside view of your life and thoughts and stuff, a lot of times a lot of inspiration and clarity comes, at least for me and I think a lot of people. Do you have anything with that or is that not? Yeah, I, I do meditate. And, and what I love about it, you know, what I love about meditation, what I love about prayer, what I love about like deep breathing, you know, there are things you can do anywhere. So I, I really like to utilize anything that I can fit in that time where I drop the kids off and I'm still sitting in my car or that time when I sit down on my desk before I start doing work or anything. Again, these five minute chunks of time, yeah, you can really make work for you. And to be honest with you, like I used to think meditation was kind of this hippy dippy, like woo woo. I didn't really <laughs> understand it until yeah, I d- started doing it. And it was really actually with someone in AA who suggested it. And then my therapist, I talked to more about it and it was very hard for me to learn how to turn my brain off and, and made me realize that I needed to do this more. And so it's, it's definitely a practice I utilize. I don't have a specific routine. Like I get up and meditate for 15 minutes or anything like that. It's yeah. just something I use as a tool in my toolbox and 
um, something I just do every day when I feel like I need to center. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting when we, we really step out of our lives a little bit and look, there's a lot of room and space for things like that. Even as a mom of five or whatever people are doing, very busy, uh, between things while you're driving, you can listen to a book, you can meditate, you can, you know, there's all kinds of little moments throughout a day where these things can fit in and we don't have to, oh, I can't do that. I'm too, no, we're not too busy. And most people are in their car quite a bit too. And there's all kinds of ways to get our minds right there as well from books to med- if you want to focus on the road too, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate you ex- explaining all these things, sharing and being so vulnerable with us. And I'm sure there's a lot more we could get into as well. Um, again, the book highlight real R E A L. I like that. Cause it's a little play on words, highlight real, uh, finding honesty and recovery beyond the filtered life. Uh, I think that's a message that uh, our culture needs in this day and age with all the things things you touched on, social media and the different cultures, the wine mom thing and stuff. And just a healthy, uh, honest self-evaluation is, I guess, really our main message. And then let's take the right action steps towards the best life possible, especially when kids are involved, to be the best you know example. Um, anything else you want to say as we, as we close here? I appreciate all your time and expertise and, and story, most of all. Yeah. You know, I would say that if anybody listening feels like maybe they've questions, they're drinking, you know, maybe you've Googled, am I an alcoholic, which is something I did lots of times, just talk to a friend. And if you are that friend and someone talks to you, you know, take it seriously and have a conversation and really just lean into those feelings you're having. You don't have to judge yourself or say you're going to be done forever, but you may talk to someone who has something really helpful to say to you. Um, So again, it it all comes down to communication and just honoring the feelings you're having. Yes. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so, so much for all this insight and expressing it, I think from a place of, of love and everything for humanity to just be the best we can be. And uh, so with that, uh, contacts with any questions, look for Emily's book here, Emily Lynn Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-O-N, and uh, Highlight Real. Look for that and, and buy that book. <laughs> and uh, is that an audio form too? Is there an audio book? It is. Oh, great. There is an audio book. Good, good. Look for that and get that, my friends. And uh, until next time, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.